BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So welcome back to the second hour of our program. Quantitative easing, quantitative tightening. What the heck is this stuff? How is it going to affect us? What is the Fed up to? Fascinating piece over in the uh, Financial Times here. It's titled The Fed Gets Scary by Robert Armstrong and Ethan Wu. Let's talk about this with a genuine expert. Professor Richard Wolf is an economist, professor of economics, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books. His latest, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Prof. Wolf with two Fs on Twitter. Professor Wolf, welcome back. So quantitative easing, quantitative tightening. This has to do with the Fed buying and selling bonds, if I understand this correctly. Can you explain what this stuff is and why we should care? First of all, the Fed is the name we give in this strange country of ours to our central bank. In other countries, it's called the central bank. Because of our weird history, we call it the Federal Reserve System. But it is the central bank, and it has the same responsibilities that central banks have in most other countries namely to control the money supply in the economy and to control the interest rate at which money is lent from lender to borrower. These are extremely important things. You know, the old saying, money makes the world go round. Well, if money is as important as that is, and most of us know that it is, well, then it shows you how powerful the government always is in a capitalist society, because the government is given the role of controlling the money, mostly because when it used to be controlled by individual banks, the level of chaos and corruption was so enormous that it was taken away from the private sector and given to the government, which didn't mean that problems didn't exist, but that's the logic of what it has. All right, so quantitative easing means simply that the uh, Federal Reserve, our central bank, thinks the economy is in trouble, and so it's going to pump money in. It's going to literally create money lower the interest rate so it can uh, people can borrow it and industries can borrow it and they go into the uh, economy where the government bonds exist from previous years when the government borrowed money it gave the people it borrowed from a bond literally a piece of paper a kind of iou and the federal reserve comes in prints brand new money and buys the bonds 
from industry, from banks, from rich people. The rest of us don't participate in that market. And in that way, it pumps the money up into the economy. That's quantitative easing. Quantitative tightening is the reverse. That's when the Federal Reserve sells the bonds it bought last year or the year before back into the public, thereby pulling money out of the economy into its own hands and locks it in a vault or burns it. It really doesn't matter. But it is the way the Federal Reserve moves money in and pulls money out of the economy with the goal of keeping us from a depression or a recession on the one hand and keeping us from an inflation on the other. So my final point is, since we have had three crashes already in this new century and we're now living through a terrible inflation, it's clear that the Federal Reserve either cannot or will not use these tools or they don't work, which is why that article you read in the Financial Times is very worried. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, you know, we've, the, the Fed has been around since 1913, if my memory serves me correctly. Yes. Yes. Um, you would think, and, and, and clearly, I mean, you know, John Maynard Keynes, as I recall, wrote his, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off on this, but somebody wrote their, no, it was, it was Janet Yellen who wrote her dissertation on um, uh, uh, well, one of the Fed chairmen in my lifetime, anyway, uh, might have been Bernanke wrote his dissertation on, on, on the great crash in 1929 and, and how the Fed failed to use, um, you know, monetary policy to, to deal with the Great Depression, how they arguably made it worse by keeping the money supply tight. Um, how is it that it's been over 100 years and they haven't figured out how to make this work? Or is it just a really blunt instrument? Well, you know, it's mostly the reality of our economic system. I know it's not fashionable to talk about it, and certainly folks like Yellen and Bernanke avoid what I'm about to say like the plague. But the reality of it is that our capitalist economic system has produced inflations and economic downturns on a pretty regular basis. Now, the amount of years between one and the next one varies, but we are very sure that on average, our own government has said this, every four to seven years we have a crash, and every decade or so we have an inflation. The Federal Reserve simply doesn't have the capability, it doesn't have the tools with which to deal with this intrinsic systemic problem of our capitalist system. And People don't want to face it, so there's an endless self-delusion that, oh, well, we didn't get it right last time, we'll get it right the next time. Mm. Well, it doesn't work. Okay, well, we'll adjust it a little bit and we'll get it right the next time. After a certain number of these, a rational person ought to conclude, as some of us have, that the problem isn't that the tools aren't quite right, it's that we have a system that is not vulnerable, is not susceptible to being manipulated in the way these folks want, and therefore we're continuously uh, plagued by these uh, kinds of instability. Now, you know, there are some economists that, that I've been reading recently who are suggesting that basically we're trying to uh, you know, hammer a nail with a screwdriver. 
that we're using the wrong tool for for the problem. That that the the crash of 2000, uh, the, the crash of 2000, and the crash of 2008 were the direct result of deregulation of the banking industry and of the mortgage industry um, that invited criminal activity. And criminals basically crashed the system both times. Criminal bankers, those criminal bankers made off of the pile of money. The same thing in the 80s with when Reagan deregulated the SNL industry and that crashed and we had that, that big crash. And then you, know, you had to have the Resolution Trust Corporation to put that back together, which was not the Fed. Arguably that was you know, using the right tool to solve the problem. But that the Fed, and that right now, the inflation that we're experiencing is the entirely predictable consequence of having come out of two years of suppressed demand with an explosion of demand, combined with the fact that there are still supply chain problems that have to do with the way that China's dealing with COVID. And, and by the way, it's going to get worse. And that if you look at inflation, even the inflation of the 80s that was caused by the spike in oil prices, another demand-driven, you know, a, 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 a demand-supply imbalance-driven inflation, that that inflation was not solved by the Fed. It just took a decade to flush it out of the system. And this inflation won't be solved by the Fed. It'll just take a decade to flush it out of the system. But the Fed is dancing because everybody expects them to do a dance. Uh, does any of that make sense? Absolutely. But, but let, me, let me push back just a little bit. Um, I'm perfectly happy blaming the Fed. It, it makes one mistake after another. It doesn't seem to learn from its own mistakes. It dances, as you rightly say, to the pressure of the politics to do something about an inflation, which is a very dangerous thing to put an economy through after two years of crash and COVID. But your very example shows what I'm talking about. When you point to the criminal behavior of the banks, and you're quite right, one logic would have been to say, when and if banks privately owned and operated for a profit mess up the financial and monetary system of a country, one of the things to discuss, which has its problems, of course, but is public banking. In other words, take it out of the private sector, which is as prone to profit-driven criminal or quasi-legal activities today as it was 20, 50, and 100 years ago. Part of why we have the Federal Reserve is the criminal activity of banks. Yep. You'd think in a rational system, we talk about public banking as a way to deal with that part of the problem. But since we don't, then we ask of the Fed what it clearly can't do, and then we sit here having these kinds of conversations. Yeah, and, and Bernie, you know, opened this conversation pretty aggressively. I mean, he's been talking about this actually on this program for, for, for almost 20 years about a very small start to public banking by doing it through the post office. That, is that what you're talking about? Yes. And, and look, there are at least that I'm aware of myself, a dozen states and cities in this country right now uh, in advanced stages of discussion about public bankings, either chartered by a city or started by uh, chartered by one of our states. People know about this. There's plenty of examples all over Western Europe in our allies 
who have public banks of all different kinds, either operated by their post office, as in the French example, for example, or uh, major players in the savings bank business, which is what Germany has. So we have lots of ways to explore and look at public banking if we don't want to be vulnerable to this bizarre dance, and I like your word, between the private banks hustling to make a buck and the Federal Reserve, which is in bed with them anyway, supposedly regulating them, and they don't do a real good job in this dance. We don't question why we allow this particular dance to continue to be played at our expense. Yeah, my recollection is that North Dakota, do, am I remembering that right, or is it South right. Dakota? One of no, them, North, North Dakota, North Dakota, has had a public bank since 1909, if I'm remembering correctly? That's right. North Dakota, hardly a bastion of socialism or Bernie support or anything like that. North Dakota, a conservative state, has had a a public bank, I believe, since 1916, so over a century now. Republicans and Democrats have tried on occasion to get rid of it. They failed. The big American banks from the East tried to stop it. It failed. The conservative farmers and businesses and people of North Dakota have in insisted on keeping the big bank in their state a public institution that lends to the local people and businesses and that folds its profits back into the budget of the state so that the state doesn't have to tax the mass of people as much as it otherwise would. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, my understanding is if California did that, they would save something like 10 or $20 billion a year in bank fees. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing. Professor Richard Wolf, democracyatwork.info is the website. Prof Wolf with two Fs on Twitter. Professor Wolf, thanks again for dropping by. My pleasure. Thank you. Great talking with you as always. Quick math the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Is the uh, Donald Trump 
power, as it were. How much longer is he going to have any power at all in the Republican Party? This is fascinating. You know, Frank Luntz just came out. Frank Luntz is not going to be any you know, good buddy with Donald Trump any day soon. He just came out and said that Republican leaders are laughing at Trump behind his back. Now, I can't think of anything that would make Trump crazier. Luntz was talking to the Daily Beast, to uh, a reporter at the Daily Beast. He pointed out uh, what Chris Sununu said. Now, I pointed this out on this program on, I think it was on Monday, you know, because he said it over the weekend, if my uh, recollection is correct, at the Gridiron Club dinner, you know, where everybody got COVID. Chris Sununu is the governor of New Hampshire. He is the son of John Sununu, who was the former governor of New Hampshire and who was like a big deal in either the Reagan or the George H.W. Bush administration. And uh, Sununu, during the Gridiron Dinner event, was one of the speakers, and he said of Trump, he's effing crazy, only he actually said the word. He said, I don't think he's so crazy that you could put him in a mental institution, but I think if he were in one, he ain't getting out. And everybody laughed. And Frank Luntz said, I don't know a single Republican who is surprised by what Sununu said. He said what they are thinking. They won't say it in public, but behind his back, they think he's a child. They're laughing at him. That's what made it significant. So the question in my mind is, number one, how much longer is Trump going to last as a Republican or as the leader of the Republican Party? How much longer is Rona uh, Romney McDaniel going to continue to you know, uh, shine his shoes uh, and, and jump every time he tells her to? How much longer are Republicans going to continue with their bowing down to him? Question number one. But question number two, when Trump completely fades, and I, I predict he will over the course of the next two years, when Trump completely fades, is he going to be replaced in the Republican universe by another authoritarian neo-fascist, as I personally believe Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton would be at the top of the list for that? Or is he going to be replaced by an old-fashioned Republican, a Paul Ryan kind of Republican, just basically a corrupt, you know, business guy like Mitt Romney? And I don't know the answer to that question. I could, I could build a case for either one. I, I can tell you that the momentum in the party right at the moment is towards fascism. But there are also voices in the party. You've got the whole Lincoln Project thing. You've got the Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. There are voices in the party who are starting to say, no, wait a minute. We're not going to go down the crazy route anymore. You know, it, it, it got us where we are. But now this QAnon cult has taken over and all these people, they're all hysterical about, you know, uh, Democrats drinking the blood of children and stuff. And it's just too over the top. So let's just go back to tax cuts for billionaires and deregulation of polluting industries. The old-fashioned Republican stuff. What do you think? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Is Trump toast? And if so, how does the Republican Party recover? Have the Birchers won? This is how bizarre it is. There was a time, I remember in, in uh, I think it was 1963 or 64, my dad took me to a John Birch Society meeting in Lansing, Michigan. And it was just basically a bunch of suburban uh, middle-aged white guys who were playing poker as much as anything else. But, you know, they, one of them gave me a copy of John Stormer's book, None Dare Call It Treason, about all the communists in the State Department. And I went home and read it, and I was like, whoa! And, you know, they were pretty freaked out about um, those commies that are trying to take down America. 
there was also kind of the dark underbelly to the John Birch Society, which I didn't experience with my dad or with my dad was not a member. He, he, he in fact, when he took me uh, to this meeting, he said, you, you need to know who the crazies are uh, or words to that effect. But in any case, uh, Buckley back in the 60s, around that same time, William F. Buckley was trying to derail the John Birch Society. On the other hand, you know, Fred Koch, the, the godfather, the, the, the patriarch of, the, of that family, um, was helping to fund the John Birch Society. The John Birch Society's big thing back in the 60s was putting up billboards saying impeach Earl Warren. And that was because of the 1954 Brown versus Board uh, case. So where are we at now? Well, the organization has made a real comeback thanks to Donald Trump. Travis Geddes is writing over at Raw Story. Um, he's, uh, he's quoting this uh, fellow Trzinski who uh, has written about this and, and says, looking at American politics, it sure looks like this seminal conservative achievement is unraveling. The Birchers are back and they are winning. He says, we have a conspiracy theory that explains everything, a secret cabal that controls everything from the intelligence agencies to the schools. Now, like I said, when I was a kid, the Birchers were convinced that it was the communists, principally the communists in, in Russia, in Moscow, who were you know, the puppet masters controlling the world. Well, now it's this worldwide group of, I don't know if there's a name for it yet. You know, for Hitler, it was the Jewish, the international Jewish conspiracy. And uh, of course, these people are anti-Semites as well. So is this going to work? Is it going to, uh, you know, have they taken over the Republican Party, the John Birch Society or the Birchers or these folks? Trzinski writes, from the top down, the Birchers have won. They now own the conservative movement and the Republican Party. Well, does that mean that over time they're going to have more and more power, or is this the beginning of the end of the Republican Party? What say you? Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. Carol in Auburn, Washington. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Hey, I have a question about Mitch McConnell. Is he? Did he bring that Russian aluminum plant into Kentucky, or was that something that was just dismissed since we're putting the sanctions on the Russians? Do you know anything about it? He announced it in time for the election that this, uh, I believe it was a $200 million plant was going to be built. It was going to be built with, uh, was it Deripaska? It was one of the Russian oligarchs was going to fund it. That's why they started calling him Moscow Mitch. He got a lot of good publicity across across the state, across Kentucky, for that. Everybody thought he was he'd done this wonderful thing, and then after the election was over, you know, it kind of stopped, and now it's dead. 
That's my, uh, so is my best no, understanding. The, okay. That I don't think they question. ever even, even broke ground. I'm not even sure if they acquired land. They might have acquired some land, but I think that's about as close as they got to have, having an aluminum plant. John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? How do the Federal Reserve's tools work, given that the economy has now gone uh, global? Yeah, well, that's that's another another issue there. You know, by buying and selling bonds, they're increasing and decreasing the supply of dollars. But given that the dollar is the world's reserve currency, there's something like a hundred trillion dollars worth of dollars out there you know, all over the planet. And, and you know, our our economy is a 20, 20, 21 trillion dollar economy, if my recollection serves me correctly. So it seems like that would dilute their efforts or that they would have to be much more extreme in their efforts to change the money supply. But I'm not the economist here, John. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little curious because mostly what he was talking about with their tools being were, were interest rates, right? Yeah. Raising them or lowering them, issuing bonds or buying bonds. Right. Well, buying and selling bonds is a way of changing the money supply and would have an impact on interest rates. Uh, you know, again, this, I, I am not the, uh, the expert on this, but, but the, let, me, let me put that down for next week for uh, Professor Wolf. That might be a great question. Another point I'd like to make is the Democrats get a couple of people out there to do the hyperbole in the way that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates mm-hmm. do it. Only... Have them put out things like, we're taking the January 6th terrorist to Guantanamo to, for enhanced interrogation. I, think, I don't think that there are any Democrats who are willing to play the clown. I mean, basically, you know, Matt Gates, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, little band of discredited right-wing Republican crazies. It's a clown show. They're ridiculed. Lauren Boebert now has a regular Republican in Colorado who just declared he's going to run against her. I mean, he's a he's a, a state legislator, a serious legislator. He's a Republican, but he, he's calling her too bizarre. And, you know, I, I don't know about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She comes from, you know, a, a, this little community in, in North Georgia where it's just wackadoodles all day long. And Matt Gates, his father's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, and uh, so he's got a lot of resources behind him. But I, I don't know that there are any Democrats who, who would be willing to play the, to play the fool. Uh, you know, it's an interesting idea, John. It's a really interesting idea. It would be good theater. Sadly, what happens is when Democrats come out and tell the truth, you know, and, and say, you know, like the banks ripped us off and we should be prosecuting banksters rather than bailing them out. That gets treated like they're playing the fool. Weird stuff. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the true people's media. So down in Florida, they're buying Republican legislators, you know, the utilities. It's getting very strange. I mean, first of all, you've got the Republicans who have not talked about policy since the 2016 election. There was a Republican platform in 2016. Donald Trump completely ignored it, threw it away. And there has not been a platform for the Republican Party since then. The 2020 election, the Republican platform was, we'll do whatever Donald Trump tells us to do. I mean, literally. Well, not quite literally, but damn close. That was their platform. We have no platform. Donald Trump is our platform. QAnon is our platform. 
And then comes along Rick Scott, the Republican senator from Florida, the guy who uh, was the CEO of the company that committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America. And he has come up with a plan, his 11-point plan, his contract on America. And he wants to raise the taxes on, the, on 100 million Americans. That's the working people, people in the bottom 60% of America. He wants to raise their income taxes. And he wants to sunset Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid within five years. So, you know, they did a little polling on this, on his so-called Rescue America platform. And they found that among registered voters, 27% support it. 59% are opposed to it. 14% are, can't figure out what the hell he's talking about. This is the question that was asked. As you may know, Republicans released a campaign plan called the Rescue America Plan that would raise taxes on about 100 million working class Americans and require Congress to reauthorize all laws every five years, which means programs like Social Security and Medicare could be eliminated if there's a gridlock in Congress. Knowing this, do you support or oppose this plan? Yeah. It's 16 points underwater with Republicans. It's a stone-cold loser. And this is the guy who thinks he's going to take Mitch McConnell's job if the Republicans take the Senate. Well, meanwhile, over on the Democratic side, Senator, Senator Kirsten Sinema spoke before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, excuse me, the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry uh, earlier this week, yesterday, actually, Tuesday. And she said, uh, I promise you, that I'll be the same person in negotiations if they start again that I was in negotiations last year. She's talking about Build Back Better, Joe Biden's $500 billion plan to stop climate change in its tracks, to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices, um, you know, to help out the average American, to build out uh, solar infrastructure all around the country, uh, to help solarize your home. Uh, you know, all this stuff, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin blew it up, and she's just, she just said... Uh, you know, she's opposed to any, ta quote, any tax policies, because, you know, there was a tax increase in there that helped pay for it. Taxes on people making over $400,000 a year would have gone up. She says uh, she's opposed to, quote, any tax policies that would put a break on any type of economic growth or forestall business and personal growth for America's industries. Right. So Democrats today, there's, there, you know, there's this... It was a fascinating story, actually. I believe it was in the Washington Post yesterday or the day before about how the Biden administration is sounding out Republican senators right now because the Build Back Better legislation did pass the House of Representatives. It's stuck in the Senate. And to get it through the Senate, they just need to get the filibuster dropped for this particular piece of legislation, which is going to require cinema and mansion. And they kind of learned from their last experience, according to this article I read in the Post, that they are not publicly going to trash either one of them. They'll leave that to me. <laughs> no, I'm not coordinating with the Democrats in any way. Uh, but they're not going to publicly trash either one of them. They're not going to publicly pressure either one of them. And they're talking about letting Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin basically write this legislation, which means it'll probably, you know, if, if anything comes out of this, It'll probably turn into another one of these, like the, the so-called bipartisan legislation, where 100% of every single dollar has to run through a for-profit corporation after it's spent by the federal government. In other words, more public-private partnerships, more privatization, more big bucks for the campaign donors to the Republican Party and to the corrupt Democrats. There, there are a few. 
So how is this going to play out? You know, how much longer are the Democrats in Arizona going to put up with Kirsten Cinema? How much longer are Democrats and for that matter, Republicans in West Virginia going to put up with Joe Manchin? I mean, they're, neither one of them are up for reelection for two more years. So this could get interesting. And do you think that, you know, it's possible that the Democrats could take enough of a majority in the elections this fall that they can restart this process in the spring because they've got more than 50 percent in the Senate? I'm skeptical. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Or is there something missing here? Do you know of a way that we could be pressuring cinema and mansion that would push through the millions of dollars that they're being given by these industries? Two stories I wanted to flag for you. By the way, uh, Beto O'Rourke tweeted about this earlier today, and I retweeted his tweet. You can find it over on my uh, Twitter timeline at Tom underscore Hartman. Greg Abbott is trying to jack up inflation so that he can blame it on Joe Biden, trying to jack up prices. And he's doing this by having the state police, quote, inspect, end quote, every truck coming from Mexico. Now, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Just at the Far Bridge, this is one uh, PHARR, one particular bridge. Normally, 3,000 commercial trucks cross that every day, 60 to $70 million a day worth of goods. And a lot of those goods, by the way, are necessary. They're, they're like on their way to Detroit to be, ma- you know, f- to be made into cars. I mean, you know, a lot of your auto manufacturers are doing much of their manufacture. Their engine blocks are coming from Mexico, for example. So Greg Abbott is trying to put a, 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 a wrench in this thing, and he says he's doing it to punish the Biden administration for, for talking about eliminating Title 42, which is, you know, keeping immigrants out of the United States based on public health, which is just a whole other bizarre thing. But he, he claims that, you know, he's, he, we're going to disrupt the drug traffickers and the people and the human traffickers. Well, they haven't found any drugs. They haven't found any humans. Uh, what they have done, though, is for six days now that they've been doing this, they have just basically shut down commerce between the United States and Mexico along the Texas border. And it's starting to hurt. So just keep an eye on this. Republicans are trying to drive inflation as hard as they can, as fast as they can, so they can turn it into a, an election issue this fall. Jason in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, hey, Jason, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? Hi, Tom. Say, I was watching a NBC News report yesterday about the stealing PPP money. Right. And uh, they were saying that um, besides Ferraris, houses, and all sorts of things, uh, people from Europe using their computers to get some of that money, um, they're saying that his investigator claimed he could only get 10% maybe at the most yeah. of the money reclaimed. Now, what my question to you is, isn't there a money trail when the government was printing out the PPP money? I mean, aren't there checks, banks, records? Uh, what happened to all of the accountability? I think you have to keep in mind that the PPP program rolled out under Donald Trump. And uh, Wilbur Ross, uh, one of the billionaires in his cabinet, uh, has been described by Forbes magazine as a, as a grifter. Um, he, he was surrounded by grifters. So it shouldn't surprise us that if the Democrats and the Republicans, actually some, some Republicans voted for this as well, um, but if they come to the White House and say, okay, we want to give you know, a, a half a trillion or a trillion dollars to people to get them through the pandemic, that the White House being in charge of implementation of that would do it in a way that would allow the grifters to get away with stealing, stealing money, you know, just stealing them blind. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't, I, you know, I've, I've seen 
articles alluding to this, but I haven't seen any good in-depth reporting on it. But I'm guessing that some of that PPP money ended up in Donald Trump's pocket. I think you're right. So, you know, it just, it just, it just makes sense to me that if you've got a grifter as a president and Congress says, here, here's a pile of money, pass it out to people, that, you know, a lot of grifters are going to get that money and we won't be able to get it back because of the way that they do it. And, and, uh, and that's the kind of thing that just frustrates the hell out of everybody. It does. It's, and this is why, you know, a couple of days ago, I, I, the op-ed I wrote over at HartmanReport.com was how, uh, how the, the business, it seems, <laughs> the main business of the Republican Party these days is this giant grift. And, you know, and everybody in the GOP is in on this grift. And it's, it's just... Uh, They're siphoning the money out of the middle class for their luxuries. Yes, they absolutely are. It's, uh, you know, how much more money can we pour into the billionaires' money bins? Uh, Stephen, thank you very much. Thank thanks you, for the call. Yeah, uh, and thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. Tom in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, first off, we the people are the government, and we must never forget that. Second, I am a proud FDR Democrat, and I hope that other people will start to repeating that mantra, because honestly, FDR's policies would work today. Uh, he'd probably have most of the country behind it. He won four elections, and I don't understand why it is that uh, these other people are not, other people are running for office are not just basically repeating what it is that FDR said because it was a populist attitude and a populist policies and the second bill of rights that RBK has talked about. Yep. Those are the things that we need to be focusing on. I'm with uh, third, I just I wanted to get back onto the whole thing about the media. One thing I just find so so disturbing is the fact that the top of the news and the bottom of the news hours on AP, how basically that's all some people, they're not, you know, people like me or you that listen to talk radio all the time or people on this show that listen to talk radio all the time, uh, progressive, they only hear these sound bites at the top of the hour and the bottom of the hour. And today, what was it? Inflation. Oh, we're in for trouble. Yeah. Oh, inflation, inflation, inflation. Right. And that's all some people hear. Yeah. They don't hear anything else throughout the day except for maybe clickbait on their you know social media. But I would say even more as bad is the AP News and these types of things because they're an authoritative source. Yep. You know, someone goes on Twitter... They're not an authoritative source for the most part of Facebook. They're not, even though people do follow them. But those people might follow anyone that's an authoritative source. Yeah, AP, so AP emphasizes, you know, the kind of the if it bleeds, it leads stuff. And so when the jobs report came out and, you know, hey, it's, you know, Joe Biden has now you know, created more jobs than any president in history. Um, it didn't even get mentioned. But inflation, oh, my God, it's bleeding, so it must lead the story. But the other thing is that a lot, most of your radio stations around the country now are using Fox as their news source at the top and bottom of the hour. I don't know yeah. if it's most of the stations, uh, no, but it, most of your uh, conservative It's really stations. disturbing, Tom. It's really, really disturbing because, you know, this is what people are being, you know, are hearing, and this is what then they believe. And that's why I think the Democrats need to get back. They all should have their own YouTube channels, first off, every senator and congressperson because you know what we're not getting any type of progressive media or any type of what their policies are so to me they should all have their own youtube channel so they can people can actually tune in and yeah see sheldon whitehouse has done a great job of this by the way 
Shelvin's been great. In fact, he's the only person that has thought about, you know, the Disclose Act and money in politics and getting money out of politics. And, Tom, you were right 15 years ago when you said this was going to be the most consequential. Well, Barack Obama said that, too. But you said at first that this was going to be the most consequential uh, Supreme Court decision ever in the history of the United States in the in this in this era and you are absolutely citizens 100% united. correct yeah citizens united yeah no it, your, it, it has your show on it yeah it has gutted america i mean citizens united was the ultimate statement of neoliberal ideals that corporations are people that money is speech that money can tra- cross across borders that foreign actors can come into the united states and pour money into american politicians you know we saw you know, enormous amounts of russian money for example being apparently laundered through the nra into the trump campaign and into the campaigns of, of other you know high profile republicans who are now serving um, and, and in many cases are, are now serving and again acting as apologists for Putin. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty terrific. And Tom, what do you think about the idea of actually having a commercial where you got different politicians or people saying, I'm an FDR Democrat, I'm an FDR Democrat, I'm an FDR Democrat. I think Democrat. most Americans then, don't know what an FDR Democrat is. That's, but, then you have, but then you have to follow through and say, this is why. Well, the, the modern way to say it is to say, I'm a Bernie-crat. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm with Bernie and Liz Warren. That's, 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 that's the way you would say it and Americans would understand it. Tom, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Remember when these two guys who were busted down at Navy Yard in these apartments down the street from where I used to live in D.C.? It turned out that they had come from Pakistan via Iran, at least one of them. They were bribing. For two years now, they've been passing off giant bribes to members of the Secret Service, including, you know, flat screen TVs and $2,000 super guns and, and just all kinds of weird stuff. And they had been presenting themselves as members of the Department of Homeland Security, but they had roped in, you know, now I, I guess the five or six of these Secret Service guys have been put on hold, you know, for apparently for taking bribes. And the prosecutors have been scrambling to figure out what's going on. Well, the plot thickens because the, the Department of Justice has been so befuddled by this thing. You know, what's going on? Who's it? And the fact that two days before DHS busted these guys, before the FBI busted these guys, one of the Secret Service agents that they were bribing warned them that it was coming. So there's something really, really skeezy going on here. It was the U.S. Postal Service who actually busted them, not the FBI, uh, although they brought in the FBI. A magistrate judge said that th- their behavior was sophomoric, that this was just, this was the kind of thing, no, it, nobody would be stupid enough to think that they were going to actually try to, like, you know, kill the president or the vice president. Keep in mind, one of the Secret Service agents they were bribing was on Kamala Harris's detail. So this federal judge says, well, no, nobody would seriously think that this was part of any serious plan. This was sophomoric. He said, and I quote, he said, that's not how foreign intelligence agents work. And so he let them go. I mean, they're still being charged with a crime, but hey, they can go home. They don't have to post bail. Very weird. Very weird.
Debbie Stabenow, this is great. Mitch McConnell was dribbling on about something, and Debbie Stabenow, the, you know, the, the Democratic senator from Michigan, she says, there was $7 trillion in new debt and 2.6 million jobs lost during Trump. But when McConnell comes to this podium, all he does is complain that we're not cleaning up their mess fast enough. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Meanwhile, the New York Times is, uh, you know, finally reporting, or, or is reporting, that Jared Kushner was given $2 billion by the Saudis over the objections of their investment advisors. This is not an investment, in my opinion. I mean, I may be wrong about this, but it, this sure looks to me like a payoff. What did Jared Kushner do for the Saudis? Well, you know, he was organizing Donald Trump, basically. He got Trump over to Saudi Arabia as the very first international visit. He, helped, he got Donald Trump to sell the Saudis a whole bunch of weaponry that Congress didn't want them to have so that they could, you know, pursue their war against Yemen. He, he ignored and got Congress to ignore and had the president ignore the Saudi murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post columnist. You know, he was going over there, sitting up until 4 o'clock in the morning with, uh, with MBS, uh, you know, laughing and drinking and having a good old time, or whatever they were doing, and uh, apparently planning on how, you know, hey, we'll do whatever you want, Saudi Arabia, for four years in exchange for that. You give me $2 billion and you give Steve Mnuchin a billion. And who knows? How much of this is going to Donald Trump? I mean, literally, nobody knows. Meanwhile, we're seeing the results of uh, right-wing activism and, you know, the right, the, this neoliberal embrace of privatized everything, in this case, privatized youth lockup facilities. This is the uh, Louisiana's Acadian Center for Youth at St. Martinsville. Activist Tamika Mallory has shared a video about this. Um, the kids were locked up. The kids are locked up for 23 hours at a time in solitary confinement in their cells. No lights, no exercise, abusive guards, no classes, no reform, no help. Their only interaction with people is through their meal slot. I mean, if you want to damage a child and guarantee that they will be uh, a prison, that they will be a, a, you know, an, an outlaw, essentially, a criminal, do this to them when they're young. Lock them up, break them. Inst what's, this, is, this is a process called institutionalization. Break them down, it's, it's, it's like breaking a horse. You break them down to the point where they, where they well, oh yeah, living in this institution, I can, I can do that. And then they, you, know, you put them back out on the streets, you've, you've skipped their education, they have no skills, they have no ability, what do they do? They turn to crime with the idea that, well, if I go to jail, it's not a big deal. I was in jail when I was a kid, I, I, I survived it. You can figure out how to get through. That's what institutionalization is all about. 15-year-olds being locked in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement makes adults crazy. I mean, literally crazy. It breaks you. It's considered torture by the United Nations. Yet we do it in our prisons here, and now we're doing it in children's prisons? These journalists who have outed this, this, this story, uh, there's a whole piece about it over at uh, Daily Coast. Locked in cells 23 hours at a time, no lights, no exercise. Activists want this youth center shut down. That's the headline. And they relied on hundreds of pages of incident reports, emails, videos, education records, emergency response laws, dozens of interviews. 
They, were, they, wrote, they wrote that teens at the Acadian Center, including those diagnosed with mental illness, were held in their cells for at least 23 hours a day for weeks. They were shackled with handcuffs and leg irons when let out for a shower or given a little more than meals slid through slots in their doors. Some teens took those brief moments of human contact to fling feces at the guards. Two of the teens in the facilities harmed themselves so badly that they required medical attention. Some destroyed their beds and shattered light fixtures using the metal shards to hack holes in the cinder block walls large enough for them to escape. Two kids did escape this way. Can you imagine digging your way through cinder blocks? Just, I, I, you know, QAnon is like all hysterical about uh, Democrats. How about being actually hysterical about something that's actually going on? Why are people of, in power afraid of Donald Trump? I, I don't get this. You know, you, you've got you know, Alvin Bragg, the DA in New York, going, well, I don't think we want to continue this investigation. Well, we are sort of, but we just, you know, the, the two main investigators just quit uh, because he had slowed things down. You've got the Justice Department taking their sweet time. I mean, we're pushing up on two years since this guy had the immunity of the White House. Uh, he should have been impeached, right? We tried twice. Both times, Republicans, terrified of Trump's wrath, said, oh, it's, it's cool if he wants to try to blackmail a foreign government to get political dirt, you know, his withholding weapons from Ukraine, his blackmailing Zelensky, that's fine. And then the second time he was impeached, oh, yeah, he, he, he did incite an insurrection and, and people died in this assault. On the, on the U.S. Capitol building, and they tried to murder the vice president and, and speaker of the House, but, you know, we'll just give him a pass. Why are they so afraid of him? I mean, he should have been arrested for treason on January 6th. He should have been arrested for taking home classified documents. There was a guy, I, I'm forgetting his name now, but this is during the Obama, the Obama administration, there was a guy who worked for the, as I recall, it was the FBI, might have been the NSA, who was arrested for taking home a laptop. And he wasn't doing anything nefarious with it. You know, now Trump took all these documents down to Mar-a-Lago, and, and one of the lines of inquiry is how many foreign people came in and went through those documents. He should have been arrested for, lying, for fraud, for lying about his finances, hell, 30 years ago. Why are people afraid of him? He should have been arrested his first week in office when he brought uh, uh, the, the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador into the White House Oval Office and gave them the name of an Israeli spy. Yes, Donald Trump burned an Israeli spy who was providing us with information about what the Russians were up to. Donald Trump handed that information off to Sergei Lavrov and uh, the ambassador, I'm forgetting his name. and And... It was never, I mean, it was like a two-day news story. And not to mention, you know, 20 different women saying that he sexually assaulted them and several saying that he raped them. So, I mean, the American people have figured this out. This is just amazing study, this, this morning consult political poll that just, just came out yesterday. They asked, do you believe that election officials misleading Americans about the outcome of election is a crime that should be prosecuted. 71% of Americans said yes. 
Do you believe elected officials attempting to overturn the results of an American election is a crime? 69% said yes. Do you think election officials claiming that presidential elections are fraudulent without evidence is a crime? 56% said yes. The majority of Americans want Donald Trump and his cohorts and his buddies and people like Josh Hawley in jail. What are, you know, why are our elected officials and our senior, the senior officials in the State Department and, or excuse me, in the Department of Justice apparently afraid of him? Or is it just, you know, hey, it takes time for the wheels of justice to turn. I mean, I, I just, I don't know, but I think it's worth mentioning. I just want to mention it. Also, I've got a geeky science for you here. This is, this is something you're probably going to want to know about, particularly if you're trying to use, trying to uh, avoid sugar and in the process of avoiding sugar, you're using, you know, products that are sugar substitutes. An estimated 40% of Americans, four out of 10, two out of five Americans, are routinely consuming what are called non-nutritive sweeteners, zero calorie sweeteners. And now we're discovering that uh, two of them, uh, acesulfame potassium and sucralose, uh, sucralose is uh, sold as uh, Splenda, uh, uh, and there's other brands here as well, but this, the, that the one is identified in this one article by Ann McGorry, uh, titled, Sugar Substitutes May Interfere with the Liver's Ability to Detoxify. This was uh, new research that was presented at the American Society for Biochemistry and Mole Molecular Biology's annual meeting this week in Philadelphia. And they've said that these two, these two artificial sweeteners may disrupt the function of a protein that helps the liver to de detoxify itself and also to metabolize and reduce circulating blood levels of certain drugs, pharmaceuticals. So those pharmaceuticals may hit you a lot harder than they would otherwise, and including blood pressure medications and antidepressants. So this is, this is like big news. Mixing antidepressants or blood pressure medication with artificial sweeteners can be dangerous, apparently. They, 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 what they do is they inhibit the activity of a protein called P-glycoprotein, PGP. PGP pumps foreign substances out of cells. It's part of the group of transporters that helps the body, uh, specifically the liver, rid the body of drugs, toxins, and drug metabolites. And uh, it, this, this is spooky stuff. So your geeky science for the day. Um, you might want to check it out. Pay attention to it. All that said, it is Anything Goes Friday. Picking up your phone calls. Ziggy in Oneonta, New York. Hey, Ziggy, how's, how's the sticker business going? All right, we're doing good. A lot of the hump at the pump by Comrade Trump went out there. There's thousands of them. Right now, you can go to Zazzle.com, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E, and in the search window, type in Ziggy Siggy, Z-I-G-G-Y, S-I-G-G-Y. Uh, Ziggy, thank you very much, and keep up the great work. That's uh, great news. Tom in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Brother Tom. Uh, news and good news. Okay. Trump just, it's Trump just refinanced a $100 million loan. That's just the I news. saw that for Trump Tower. Right, exactly. But the bank is called Axos. It's, a, it's not a brick and mortar. No, it's an it's online bank. That's right. Internet only. But here's the big, big news. Follow the SEC filings through eight shell companies. In, in a person did an article and follow them all. And at the end of it, they go, the final over owner 
it, it's a Trump donor that runs it in San Diego, but the final owner of the bank is S-O-V-C-O-M-B-A-N-K, which is the ninth largest bank of the Soviet Union. It was sanctioned at the first day of the invasion of the Ukraine. So he really? got a high... So, yes. so the $100 million that Donald Trump just got that just bailed his butt out, you know, and, and allowed him to hang on to Trump Tower, because he was, I mean, that mortgage had to be rolled over. And so he was looking at possibly having to sell off Trump Tower, just like he just sold off the Washington, D.C. hotel. That $100 million came from, a, from a, uh, an Internet-based bank that is ultimately owned by Russians? The, by the ninth largest bank in Russia, it's spelled S-O-V-C-O-M-B-A-N-K. I think it means Soviet Communist Bank. but Yeah, <laughs> but yeah it probably did it at one time. So to me, uh, isn't that a fine conflict of interest <laughs> if he runs it again? Yeah, I, I, you know, if what you're saying is true, Tom, I haven't seen the article, but I'm taking your word for it. You've, you've called before, you're, you seem reasonable. But if that's what's true, that should be major headline news in the United States. You know, Trump turns to Russia to, to hang on to Trump Tower. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I surprised started, it's not. Yeah, I started, well, one article came out last night on Apple News. Okay, well, put, the, put it on Twitter, would you? Let me retweet it. I don't have Twitter. I've oh, geez. Okay. Well, maybe I'll have to. I'll have to go looking for it. The Tom Hartman program. Joel in Joliet, Illinois. Hey, Joel, what's on your mind today? Hey, you said about how do we deal with Cinema Mansion GOP? Mm. It is it is extremely easy, and the way we do it is history and education. And here's a a brief little outlay uh, outlay to make the people get everyone up to speed. Back in the day, there was two villains, which everyone knows you talk about. There would be corporations and politicians. When they tried to pull a fast one, they got caught. So they figured out they had to take over the media. So that is when they created hate media. So when they did this, I call it personally, in my, my opinion, politicians, corporations, and hate media, I personally call them tri-hatists, tri hate us because they team up and they work against us, you, me, and the rest of us. Okay, so what's your solution uh, for this, Joel? Our solution is go on offense, 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 because when they, what the, the CRT, 1619, these are decoys. They will never, ever, ever let these decoys go. Yeah. No, you're, you're singing my song. This was my rant that I wrote uh, for Harbin Report last week about how Democrats need to use the word corruption in every sentence that has the word Republican absolutely. in it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just a, they, they need to become the anti-corruption party. That's what that's what Volodymyr Zelensky did. And that's how he pushed out Petro Poroshenko, who, you know, who wasn't an oligarch. He, you know, he was he was sort of a Mitt Romney kind of character in, in Ukraine. And, and he got beat out by the kind of Bernie Sanders character of uh, Zelensky saying, you know, we're going to go against. And, and Zelensky actually created a cabinet agency in Ukraine just to deal with corruption. It's the anti-corruption you know, branch of the government. And Democrats yeah. need to embrace this full, full on. And the, the, uh, frankly, I think the only reason they aren't is because there's too many corrupt Democrats, sadly. You know, but their yeah, their 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 numbers are diminishing every single election. The, the number of corrupt Democrats redu is reduced, and the number of of you know stand up Democrats of of good progressive Democrats increases. 
I, I agree. But one thing they have to do is they have to demystify these hot button issues. Yeah. CRT, racism, uh, the confusion of the sexes. If they don't, if they don't clarify these down to simple terms for the American public, they get snowed over. And yeah. no, it's it's, it's, it's an attempt to change the subject is all it is. The whole, you know, the, the grooming thing and the CRT yeah. thing and the trans thing. All of these are efforts to change the subject away from the corruption of the Republican Party. The fact that Rick Scott is, you know, the, the, the lead guy who's in charge of getting Republican senators elected um, is proposing to raise taxes on 100 million Americans and end Social Security and Medicare. They don't want to talk about that. Joel, spot on. Thank you very much. Joanne in Roseville, North Carolina. Hey, Joanne, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. How are you doing today? Oh, fine, thank you. What's up? Good. I I'm a longtime listener. I love your show. I wanted to, to let you know that. Thank you. I called you a while ago when I lived in Bellhaven. Now I've moved to Roseville. Mm -hmm. a, a few days ago, you mentioned that we were, you mentioned your frustration as everyone seems to be frustrated with uh, Merrick Garland. And you also mentioned that he was a conservative and that he also was a member of the Federalist Society. That's my understanding. And I... Yeah, and I tried to find, I did some fact-checking to, to find something that would tell me that. Maybe you could direct me in the right direction, but I couldn't find anything that told me that he was a, had been a member of the Federalist Society. Okay. Is there something that you could help me with? I belong to a group that, you know, we kind of do political things and everything we fact-check. And that was one of the things that came up, or I presented, and no, we, we couldn't find anything. So is there a way that I can find out about him? I just, uh, yeah, Merrick B. Garland, Federalist Society. Um, it's over at the federalistsociety.org website, F-E-D-S-O-C.org. And, uh, why, yeah, it's, it's right there, the U.S. Attorney General. Well, the Federalist well, Society is bragging about it. Uh, here's here's the link, fedsoc.org slash contributors slash Merrick-Garland. Um, that's the website. So, Joanne, good luck, and thank you for the call. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good to yourself and the people around you, eh? And say a prayer for peace in the world. We've got a tough time here. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.